Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast. I'm Lucas Johnson, co-site expert of the Sixty Cents, and I'm here with another fellow co-site expert, Christopher Klein. Hey, Chris, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, Lucas. How are you? I'm doing good. We got a lot to talk about today, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited. We're going to go through a couple of our recent projects here at the site, and this is really our first podcast in a while, so I'm really excited to get back into the swing of things. Unfortunately, Jack Duffy is no longer with us on this podcast, but Lucas and I are going to keep it going, and we should be pretty consistent throughout the season, so I'm very excited about that. Yeah, man, let's get it rolling. I'm excited to pick this up again. All right, so the first thing we want to do with you guys today, we ran a project recently at the Sixer Sense where we ranked, as a group, every player on the roster. I believe we had nine different writers contribute their personal rankings. Um, We averaged them all together, and we had one final composite list that we ran on the site. So I think what we're going to do today is just run through that list, and then Lucas and I are going to discuss where we agree with the list, where we differ, and then maybe go through a couple of key points regarding the rankings. So Basically, I'm just going to run it 1 through 17. We're going to include two ways, and the rankings are Joel Embiid at number 1, Ben Simmons at number 2, Tobias Harris at number 3, Al Horford at number 4, Josh Richardson at number 5, Mike Scott at number 6, James Ennis at number 7, Zaire Smith at number 8, Kylo Quinn at number 9, Matisse Thibel at number 10, Trey Burke at 11, Raul Neto at number 12, Jonah Bolden at number 13, Shake Milton at 14, Furkan Korkmaz at 15, Mario Shayok at 16, and then rounding things out at 17 is Norvell Pell. So, Lucas, on the whole, where do you maybe have the biggest disagreements personally, and which rankings do you think we got right as a group? Well, I definitely think we got the top five right. I think that actually tops seven. I think that was pretty pretty spot on it's uh from eight on is where i have a couple of issues i guess with number eight we have zaire smith i don't think zaire's played a handful of games and yes he has a tremendous upside we saw it in summer league but he hasn't hasn't translated to this uh, regular season on a consistent basis yet so i think number eight is kind of high for zaire I believe when I submitted my my rankings, I had Trey Burke at number eight. And that's just because I believe he's going to be an important part to the rotation. I think he's going to be important to the offense of the second. And I think just with his overall shot creation, he's, uh, he's a very, very light version. And I and I cannot stress this enough, light version of Allen Iverson. Uh, well, Allen Iverson passed his prime. 
And I think it's just because he's the only person on the second unit that can create his own shot. First unit, you got Josh Richardson and Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons, if you know, assuming that he can start taking jumpers. But outside of those three, Trey Burke is the only one that can do it off the dribble. And I think having him at number eight is, uh, is very important. And then I think Kyle Quinn's fine at nine. I think I had Zaire Smith at 10 and Matisse Thibel at 11 and then Raul Nettle. I think I had that's pretty much how I had it, though I can't. I think the rest of the rankings, I had it pretty similar. Um, one thing I could see happening throughout the season, beginning of the season, I think it's fine, but I could see Shayok leapfrogging Korkmaz. If Shayok balls out in the G League and Korkmaz does more or less the same, I think Shayok has a real chance of getting a regular NBA contract this season if he proves to be valuable right off the bat, which I think he can be, and Korkmaz proves to struggle yet again during his third season i think those were i think that's my uh biggest area of concern there yeah shayok's an interesting case just because of how old he is he's already 24 i believe he spent four years playing basketball in college and he spent a year in the transfer portal i guess between virginia and iowa state so he's one of the older rookies this season so in that sense he should be able to make more or less an immediate impact we'll see how he does in delaware but i i do agree I'm not the biggest fan of Korkmaz. I've never had a ton of confidence um, in his development, at least not over the past season or so. He looked pretty good in international play in the World Cup, but we'll see if that translates to the NBA this year. I I, I had one issue with the top five. I, I think Al Horford's better than Tobias Harris, and that's something we'll get into a bit here in a second. I, I personally think that's a pretty concrete uh, thing, though I, I do know I'm not, you know, uh, there are people who disagree with me, obviously. Um, I had Ennis above Scott as well, but that's kind of a personal taste thing. They're both in a pretty similar tier, I think. Um, I had Trey Burke at nine, which I, I think both of us had Trey Burke a good bit higher than the average person. I'm pretty high on his strong ability, and I do think he's going to be a really important part of the second unit. Just like you said, the Sixers don't have a ton of guys who can really create their own shot on the perimeter at this point. I'm not sure if Burke is going to get minutes over Neto right away, but I think as the season goes on, assuming he keeps his contract, he's going to work his way into a nice little role. I I did have Zaire at 8, and I understand that is a bit of maybe not a stretch, but it's a bold bold take. But we have seen his perimeter defense. He's a really solid on-ball defender, something the Sixers are definitely going to value. His three-point shot looked a lot more comfortable in summer league, and he was beating guys off the dribble. His handles... Well, not great, not perfect. Definitely look a lot more under control. So I think we see a really strong season out of Zaire. I think he has a chance to be a genuine staple in the rotation by the time the playoffs hit. I think that's basically... Oh, yeah, no, I don't disagree about Zaire in the long term. Yeah, I I definitely think it's kind of a see where he is during the season thing. He obviously wasn't number eight when the season ended last year, but I think projecting forward, it's a pretty... I think it's a fair range to put him. I think he has a real chance to get, you know, to be a top three reserve next season. Mm-hmm. I got you. Okay, so um, I guess I I, I I can see where you're coming from on those. I don't, I honestly think, and, and you know me and you differ when it comes to Raul Nettle. And I, it's not that I don't think he's a good player. I don't trust his health because minus his rookie year, he hasn't been able to play more than 40 games, 41 games, I believe. And uh I just, he's, I mean, I like his game. I just see him as a third string point guard that can fill in minutes as a starter or a, you know, uh, backup and, you know, 
short-term situations. I just don't see him as a year-round backup. And that's why I think that Burks, and I, we both agree that Burks is going to eventually take over that role. Uh, moving to the Horford and Harris thing. Now, I did not know that you had Harris over uh, Horford. And I actually wrote something about Harris. Yeah, Horford over Harris, my mistake. And I actually wrote something a couple days ago about, you know, who's better at power forward, Horford or Harris. And this stems back to what Anna Horford, uh, Al's sister, uh, tweeted about on uh, Twitter before she took down the post or the post was taken down. And it made me think, and I'm just like, it's in, I think we discussed this briefly before. It's kind of like comparing apples to oranges. Uh, they're both, both players are going to be playing out of position to at least begin the games this season, unless it be, you know, takes a rest day or something. So when you look at that, I think it's like you said, it's compare. it's like comparing apples to oranges because Harris is more of the modern stretch four where, you know, he's a slasher. He's, he's a fat, you know, run in transition can create his own shot. He's much more of a primary offensive player, whereas Horford is more of that complementary piece with solid screens, rebounding, passing, mid-range, you know, spot-up shooting, three-point shooting. You know, Harrison and Horford are both solid three-point shooters. So I I can understand. And I think, you know, when it comes to doing the small things, Horford's definitely better than Harrison doing the small things that lead to winning. I'll give you that. And Horford definitely has a, an advantage over leadership. But I guess I'm looking at purely, you know, when it comes to who mm. it's a tough one. It's a tough one. I guess you could flip a coin either way. But I guess my tendency is to go with the more modern NBA in this sense. And I, it's weird for me to say that because I like old school NBA a lot. But I like Harris. I, if I had to play, if I had to choose to play one at the power forward and sacrifice the other out of position, I wouldn't want Harris out of position more than I would want Horford out of position. Does that make sense? Yeah, I definitely think it. when you're comparing them in a vacuum versus where they'll be playing in the rotation, it's different. I, I think overall there's a pretty clear argument in my mind that Horford's the better player. With regard to power forward, like you said, it is apples and oranges, and I do think Tobias is maybe a cleaner fit in a certain sense, but... Even then, I, I just tend to side with Horford because he's so much better on defense. Harris is going to be the Sixers' main liability on that end this year, whereas Horford, whether he's at the 5 or the 4, is going to be a really effective all-defense caliber guy. And he's also just a better playmaker. Like you said, he impacts winning in a lot of ways that don't always show up in the box score. That is a bit cliche to say, but I think it applies to Horford more than it does to the average star. So just for some context, I, I wrote a top 50 player's ranking just general NBA. Earlier this summer, I believe I had Harris around 37, and I had Horford, or 36 maybe, and I had Horford 28. And then I I had Ben Simmons 18, I believe. I honestly have kind of wavered on that a bit as the summer has gone on. I had Horford top 20 last season, and I I do think he's going to show some signs of aging, especially playing out of position. And the Sixers are obviously going to do a lot to preserve him as the season goes on but I, I honestly think there's I think Horford might be closer to Ben than he is to Tobias at this point that might be a bit of a hot take but I, I'm really confident in my mind that Horford's the third best player on this team I, I think he does a whole lot on both ends to impact winning as I said earlier so yeah I'm pretty concrete in that belief but I, I, I can at least see where you're coming from with regard to position and the more modern NBA Tobias is a super skilled scorer, 
really great shooter. I think his three-point percentage is going to shoot up again this season. So, so I definitely see where you're coming from. Definitely, definitely. I think, uh, and shifting, uh, before we shift gears, I just kind of want to put this on uh, emphasis. I think when you say that you see Horford closer to Ben, I think I understand what you're saying in the sense of defensive versatility, because obviously defense uh, wins championships. We saw that this year with the Toronto Raptors, because, I mean, gosh, they were the only team in the NBA that could give Joel Embiid the nightmare that he went through. I mean, maybe the Boston Celtics, but I don't think Horford could have done it for four games in a row, to be honest with you. Four games out of seven uh, again. But still, you look at it, and it's just like, okay, they're both I, – I get the defensive part of it. And, you know, the little things, I just – Harris, man, I think he's just such a unique talent in today's NBA. I think if it was five, ten years ago, I, I would to- – and, and they're at the current – level of play that they're at i i kind of would tend to agree with you but because of the change of the game i tend to lean towards harris now but i i get what you're saying i get what you're saying and with that i'm gonna yeah. change gears and i think we look at uh matisse Thibel's placement now i don't know if you guys uh, if everybody saw but there was a recent you know small ankle injury he's fine now he's i believe he's been cleared to return to practice so i think we uh dodged a bullet there as a fan base but when you look at Thibault's uh, placement there, Chris, in the rotation, what do you see uh, when it comes to his placement early in the season? And what do you see at w- where it is at the end of the season? Yeah, so we had uh, Thibault was the number 10 spot on our list, the whole sites list. I had him at 12 personally. You had him at 11. So same general tier that we're both a bit lower uh, than the average of the site. With regard to his place in the rotation, I, I do think Thibault has a chance to jump up a couple spots and to prove himself as a legit rotation piece. I just question whether or not he'll get the opportunity. Uh, the Sixers aren't the deepest team, but they, they do have a lot going for them on the wing. Harris is going to get small forward minutes, and then obviously Josh Richardson and Ben Simmons in some capacity are going to play on the perimeter, as will James Ennis and Zaire Smith, who I think get minutes before Thibault, plus one of the point guards. So I'm not really sure if Matisse is going to get consistent minutes right away. He's still a bit raw on offense. He's a better shooter, I think, than Zaire, but he doesn't quite have the handles yet. He had a lot of rough turnovers, rough moments in summer league when he was forced to put the ball on the floor. So I think that's something that's going to develop over time. Obviously, his defense is really has the potential to be really special. Um, he covers a lot of ground, gets into passing lanes at a high level, has great instincts. So, and he's, again, one of the older uh, rookies in the class. So I, I think he has the ability and the skill to perform right away. I'm just not sure he gets that opportunity yet. And just the air on the side of safety, I, I think that's why I had him at 12. Uh, yeah, I I understand what you're saying. I totally agree. I think when it comes to Thibault, I don't think he's going to get a consistent minutes right away. However, I'm going to keep an eye on this because I, I, I noticed this last year. Ennis struggled from the three-point line once he came to the Sixers, and maybe that was just adjusting to a new system, new teammates. That's fine. I, I get that. But if it's it could, but if it's if it's if he's struggling again, I I would. If I was Brett Brown and it was like a game in the early parts of the season, I would definitely sub out Ennis for, uh, you know, Thibel and see what Thibel can do. I think that would be the only realistic expectation for Thibel to get consistent minutes if he if Ennis performs poorly uh, outside uh, or even Zaire to that point, though. We don't expect Zaire to be a marksman. He's there for defense. 
But if unless injury occurs, you know, I don't see Thibel getting regular minutes, especially early on in the season. I think Brown has shown re- in recent years after the process is over that he's kind of been apprehensive to play rookies a lot unless they're star rookies. So I think in that regard, I, I don't see I don't see Thibel having consistent role this season. Doesn't mean that he won't get minutes here and there. I just I don't think he's gonna be averaging fifteen minutes a game for like sixty, seventy games this year. I don't, I don't see that happen. Yeah, I definitely think we're going to see Thibel on the floor this season. But but you mentioned Ennis' shooting. I, obviously, I don't think Ennis is an elite three-point shooter by any means. He's you know, a decent spot-up guy around the league average mark. But uh, you know, he has a bit of a slow release, and he's definitely not a sharpshooter. But just based on his college resume, uh, Thibel isn't really an elite shooter either. He looked good in summer league in Vegas. The release is clean. He has a pretty quick fluid motion, but he's not, you know, known for his shooting either. So I don't think the Sixers can really rely on either one more than the other, at least in that regard. And like you said, Brett Brown does have a tendency, I think, to rely on veterans and guys he trusts. I think it's why Jonah Bolden was in and out of the rotation a lot last year. And it's obviously why James Ennis pretty quickly won over his spot in the rotation against Jonathan Simmons. He's just a much more consistent, steady presence. He's a really hard-nosed defender, hits the spot-up threes, cuts to the rim well. And his rebounding is a really underrated attribute. He does a lot on both the offensive and the defensive glass, which I think is something Brett Brown appreciates. So, we yeah, I think Ennis— hmm? Sorry, I just want to interject this. we got to remember that he started a good portion of the games for the Houston Rockets last season before they traded him to us. But continue. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah, no, I, I think Ennis is obviously the more proven talent at this point. I think that's what's given the Sixers goals this season, given that it's pretty much championship or bust, at least in the front office's mind. I think and Brett Browns. Yeah, I think I think Ennis keeps his spot. Yeah, I, yeah, that's fair. Like I said, unless he struggles mightily from the three-point line, I don't see turning the thigh bowl. Um, but I changing gears now, uh, which, uh, out of all these players, which do you see most likely, um, outranking their, uh, outperforming their ranking? Um, it, it's tough because I think the top five for the most part are, are pretty set in stone. You know, I think Horford might outperform Harris, <laughs> but other than that, I think the real gray area is kind of towards the end there. Like you said, Shayok. Could very well pass Corkmaz. That's not impossible. Shake Milton might jump up a couple spots. I wasn't huge on what I saw from him in Vegas, but he has a skill set that does, in theory, complement a lot of what the Sixers want to do. He's really long. He's a versatile defender, and he can hit spot-up threes and playmake on the side. So, so there's a chance Milton jumps up a few spots. Trey Burke, if he does everything that you and I seem to think he will, might outperform his slot at number 11. Again, I had him at 9. You had him at 8. So I think we're both on that train. So I think some of those guys toward the end really have a, a decent shot of moving around. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think, um, like I said, I think Shayok, if given the opportunity, might outperform his two-way contract, and they're going to have to, they're going to, he's going to force them to sign him to a regular NBA deal. I think Milton. I think if he's going to outperform that ranking, they're going to have to play him at the two guard. He's not ready for point guard minutes yet in the NBA. So I think he's going to have to play the two guard. Uh, I honestly, Shayok could very well, I think he could knock on the doors of regular rotation minutes if, you know, if everything goes right for him, which means, you know, like people like Matisse Thibault and Zaire Smith struggling. And, you know, I think 
that could happen. I think uh, in the inverse of that, I think the person that might most hurt from the might might uh, underperform their rankings is Raul Nittle and Jonah Bolden. I don't I don't see Bolden getting minutes anywhere in these rotations at all. I just unless injury occurs because he's not beating out Kyle Quinn or Mike Scott for minutes unless he comes in this this offseason with like much better defensive IQ, which I think will take another season of development before it gets to that level. And then Neto, I've already voiced my concerns about Neto, so but I think I think Shayok Burke are the main two that I'm looking at that could outperform their current ranking. Yeah, yeah, I think those are all all fair points. Um, I, I'm still personally a fan of Bolden, but like you said, there's just really not room for him to get minutes this year. Embiid and Horford are going to take up a lot of the minutes at the five, and Horford and Tobias are going to get a lot of the minutes at the four. And then you have O'Quinn and Mike Scott, who Bolden would have to beat out uh, for minutes on both fronts. So they're pretty much, you know, four guys ahead of him, with five guys ahead of him right there. So, yeah, it's going to be really tough for him. I don't think Brett Brown showed much trust in him last season. So unless, like you said, he comes back with a stronger defensive IQ, he can cut down on the fouling, it's going to be tough for him to get in the rotation as much as I like him as a prospect. Oh, I, I like him too. I'm just saying I just don't see it happening. I do like him as long-term prospect, but I wouldn't be surprised if he played more minutes in the G League this year than he did last year, just purely based on the fact that he won't get burned up in Philly very often. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that's um, a strong possibility. So moving on to kind of wrap up our talk about our rankings project, how many All-Stars do you think Philly has next season? Well, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that we're going to see Simmons and Embiid in there again, you know, barring injury. I, I don't see them regressing to the point where they're not going to be an all-star, especially if Simmons adds a jump shot. You know, that's going to drive the fans and voters. Just He's going to probably – he might even start in the Eastern Conference if he does that. I mean, his real competition is Kyrie Irving and Kemba Walker because Victor Oladipo's out for at least a good uh, portion of the season. So I don't see him making the all-star game. And then the other guards in the East, I don't see, I don't, I don't think Derek Bledsoe's going to make it. I don't think the coaches like him enough than the, the fans either. So I really, yeah, I see, I, there's a chance that Ben Simmons could start along with Embiid this year. If Simmons takes the next step in his in his uh, development and adds a jump shot that literally, that jump shot could easily have him averaging 20 plus points. A game. So I see that happening. Uh, I actually wrote something earlier in the summer about this, the potential that the Sixers could have for all-stars. Now this is all predicated and it happened. It's happened in the past with the Golden State Warriors. And then you're, you're from Atlanta, so you remember the 2015-16 Hawks. And Horford was a part of that team, obviously. So uh, I think we need the Sixers need to be a first-place team in order to get those four All-Stars. But I can see Simmons and MB getting the fan vote. And if Harris, uh, and I wrote out details about how Harris and Horford can improve to get voted into as All-Stars. But I think if the coaches and the Associated Press, you know, I think if the Sixers are by far the best, have the best record, not close, but by far the best record in the East, Orford and Harris, I, I could really see them both making an All-Star game. For sure, yeah. I, I think Embiid and Simmons are locks uh, as well. There are arguments for Ben to start last season, so I, I, I do think him starting the All-Star game is a legitimate possibility. I might, if I was forced to throw out a prediction, a prediction right now, 
I might just stick with two because um, it, it is hard to have three or four all-stars on the same team. But mm-hmm. the East, yeah, but the East is pretty pretty wide open at this point. Obviously, Kawhi's gone, which opens up a spot. Philly, just based on their defensive potential, has a real chance to compete for that number one seed. If the Sixers are to get a third in, just based on counting stats, Tobias might be the favorite to get the votes there, even if Al is the more impactful player. Tobias is younger. He's going to have more room to improve. I, I think he's going to be featured a lot more prominently this season. Um, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, he's going to have more opportunities to get his own buckets and to you know, score at a pretty decent rate. So I'd probably stick with two just because of how hard it is and how many teams there are. Um, but I definitely think Harris and Horford have a, you know, a fringe possibility. They're, they're fringe possibilities for sure. Well, I look and, and go building off your piece. I look at the East. I look at the power forward, the forward slots in general. You got Blake Griffin. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a lock. You got Chris Middleton. He was an all-star last year, so I'm sure he'll get the benefit of the doubt there. But outside of those two, and I, I'm trying to remember if there was any other small, uh, small power forward prospects at the Giannis. You got Giannis, obviously. Yeah, I and think that's why he might make that leap this season too. Him or or Jason Tatum, either one, yeah. it could happen. Or and then we forget about uh, Gordon Hayward. Gosh, if he comes back healthy, you know, comes back as old uh, Gordon, you know, watch out. But uh, I don't see that happening. Uh, not quite. I, mean, I think he'll be a, I mean, a small forward, I guess. Yeah, but I mean, Harris plays a small forward, so you know. Yeah. And they just they Jimmy do it by forward. Get in over Harris. You think Jimmy could get in over? Well, I mean, he is going to be the focal point, so you're yeah. right. He could. I think Miami's going to be a playoff team and. Jimmy's going to be the focal point. So I, I think for sure Jimmy, assuming he's healthy and plays enough games, I think Jimmy's pretty close to a lock to make the All-Star team this year. So, so, sidebar, and I don't, and, I, and this is the only rabbit trail I'm going to take off of this. Do you think the Heat are going to trade for Chris Paul? I think it's possible. It probably depends on a couple of different factors. I think Chris Paul's going to play really well in OKC. I think that team's going to be pretty good until they trade him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the Heat seem pretty desperate to be relevant. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. to say it in a mean or derogatory way or anything. But well, they don't like the tank. Yeah, they do have a lot of big contracts. And Chris Paul, he's old in the contract stinks, but he's still, I think, a really solid player. So I think it's a definite possibility that we see him in Miami before the trade deadline. So I, I yeah, and I'm looking at the other big men. Like actual like centers that could be all stars uh, ahead of H- Horford in the East. I'm thinking about it and the John Collins maybe maybe mm-hmm. I I don't know he's kind of young they might not give it to him just because he's inexperienced and I don't think the Hawks are gonna they might be floating around 500 but it's gonna be t- I, I'm not sure if they're a playoff yeah. team. I think uh, Andre Drummond might get another All Star selection if the Pistons do well. I mean, I, I wouldn't be sleeping on the Pistons quite yet. So, yeah. I mean, uh, besides Drummond... Vucevic, too. Oh, yeah, Vucevic. Yeah, let's not forget about him. He was an all-star last year. So that's real... Drummond and Vucevic are the only, like, big men that I can think of that are better than Horford in the East right now, barring any mm-hmm. explosion from Brook Lopez. So Miles Turner might be in that conversation, too, depending on how... I think Miles Turner yeah. is overrated so. as an offensive player, but defensively, yes, maybe. Yeah, it, it would take a leap, for sure. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think Horford has a... You know, you look at... I think the All-Star slots in the East are open, so it just depends on who has a winning team this year, I think, really. 
with LeBron and Kawhi gone, it's kind of like who's going to be an all-star at the forward spot this year for the East. So, yeah. So I see that. Um, I guess that's kind of concludes our conversation in regards to the um, to the all-star selection. Uh, now, turning to our other big project, the award ballots. Now, Chris, you, you spearheaded this one. So I'm going to let you take the lead and read off your list for um, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Sixth Man, Most Improved Player, Rookie of the Year, Coach of the Year, First uh, All-NBA Teams, All-Rookie Teams, All-Defensive Teams. Yeah, so basically... This was another group project, eight writers. Like Lucas said, we basically just filled out ballots for all the major awards in our predictions. It actually went live today. We're recording this Wednesday night, September 25th. So this is fairly fresh in our minds. I'll read through mine, then Lucas will read through his, and we can just talk on a few of the points where we differ, where we agree, etc. Um, so my MVP was Stephen Curry. I had Giannis winning Defensive Player of the Year, Lou Williams winning his third straight Sixth Man of the Year, Lonzo Ball winning Most Improved Player, Zion Williamson winning Rookie of the Year, and then my Coach of the Year was Mike Malone of the Denver Nuggets. Uh, First Team All-NBA, I had Steph Curry, James Harden, LeBron James, Giannis, and Nikola Jokic. Second Team was Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Joel Embiid. And then my third team was Russell Westbrook, Donovan Mitchell, Blake Griffin, Anthony Davis, and Rudy Gobert. Um, my first team all defense was DeJounte Murray, Marcus Smart, Giannis, Draymond Green, and Rudy Gobert. Second team all defense was Lonzo Ball, Drew Holiday, Paul George, Anthony Davis, and Joel Embiid. And then my all rookie teams, I had John Morant, Jared Culver, RJ Barrett, DeAndre Hunter, and Zion on my first team. And my second team was Kobe White, Darius Garland, Kevin Porter Jr., Grant Williams, and Brandon Clark. And then Lucas, take it away. All right. For my MVP, I had Giannis winning his second. Defensive Player of the Year, Joel Embiid finally gets the recognition that he deserves and gets it. Sixth man, I have Montrez Harrell. Most improved, Lonzo Ball. Rookie of the Year, Jay Morant. Coach of the Year, Nick McMillan of the Indiana Pacers. First team, All-NBA Steph Curry, James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Joel Embiid. Second team, All-NBA, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic. Third team, All-NBA, Russell Westbrook, Ben Simmons, Paul George, Blake Griffin, and Carl Anthony Towns. First team, All-Defense, Patrick Beverly, Drew Holiday, Kawhi Leonard, Draymond Green, and Joel Embiid. Second team all-defense, Ben Simmons, Lonzo Ball, Jimmy Butler, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Rudy Gobert. First team all-rookie, Jay Morant, Nikolai Alexander-Walker, Nikhil, sorry, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. R.J. Barrett, Zion Williams, uh, Jackson Hayes. Second team all-rookie, Kobe White, Tyler Harrow, Rui Hachimura, P.J. Washington, Brandon Clark. Perfect. Alright, so obviously the biggest, our, our biggest disagreements here, I guess, would have to be MVP, just because that's the award everyone talks about. Just to preface my prediction of Steph, I think it's going to be a pretty tight three-man race between Curry, Harden, and Giannis. I, I, I do think Curry is going to return somewhere close to that 2015-16 form when he just went berserk. 
and was unanimous MVP. Golden State obviously isn't going to have Clay for most of the season. Kevin Durant's gone. Um, Draymond is still going to be there to play his role as a playmaker. D'Angelo Russell will help take some of that burden off on the perimeter. But as a whole, Steph is going to be the undisputed top option. And assuming he plays enough games and he's healthy, I think he's going to put up some pretty insane numbers on pretty insane efficiency. And I think Golden State's still going to be a top four team in the loaded Western Conference because of him. I think Steph is the second best player in the world right now. I have LeBron number one and Steph number two. You might not agree with that. I'm not sure where you stand, but uh, I don't I agree with that. I'll get to it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's close. I have Giannis winning defensive player of the year. So obviously he's going to produce on both ends. So I think Giannis is definitely going to be in the conversation, of course. Um, and then Harden's always in the conversation, even with Westbrook taking some of the shots this year. I, I think Harden's still going to be up there, so it, it could go either way. You you made some fair points about Steph Curry, but before I get into that, I'm just going to say I don't agree with uh, LeBron James being top player in the world. That's Kawhi Leonard's title until proven otherwise, and I think Giannis is the second best, but I digress. Um so getting to the MVP, I, the reason why I have Giannis over Steph and, and Harden, and you made good points for both, but here, here's why I have it. Giannis lost two key players to his team, and Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Nikola Mirotic. They're gone. They're not coming back. They, so he's going to have more of the offensive burden because they replaced him with them with Wes Matthews and uh, Kyle Korver. Uh, getting on Korver, Korver's been working with Giannis on his jump shot. Korver is one of the best three-point shooters in the NBA in NBA history. It's not impossible to theorize that Giannis might, it might be the season that Giannis adds a three-point shot, or at least something in the 33 range percentile for on three-pointers. If that happens, and, and remember, Giannis beat Harden when Harden averaged over 30 points a game last year. So, mm-hmm. So I, I see that, and because, I mean, like Steph, Giannis is working with yes, less, but Giannis, I mean, Chris Middleton is an all-star, but really, he's not on the same level as D'Angelo Russell or even uh, Draymond Green, so in, in terms of, you know, star power. So in that regard, I just, Giannis is working with less. I think he's going to take, I think he's going to average around 30 points a game with his defensive stats where they were last year, and I just think that's going to give him the edge in the end over anybody else. On that point, I personally might have leaned towards Harden last season. Uh, That doesn't really apply to this much. But, um, yeah, I I do think Giannis and Harden will both be there. Giannis' defense does give him a big edge that neither Harden nor Curry can really compare to. But you mentioned... Miritich and Brogdon leaving, neither of those guys were really big playmakers. Um, so I don't think it's going to be a drastic change to Giannis' role. He's still going to be, obviously, the bell cow who does the majority of the work getting to the rim and creating for others. They're still going to have other shooters around him, Wesley Matthews, etc., filling those roles. So I don't think it's terribly different or, or a greater burden on him. But, but definitely some fair points that you made. Another area where we sort of diverged is Rookie of the Year. You had John Morant, which is really interesting to me because I'm a big Morant fan, but I think Zion is very much a generational talent. So I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Well, I kind of, when I wrote on this, you know, initially I did have Zion. I did. But then I thought about it. 
Because what has David Griffin, the GM of the Pelicans, been preaching all this offseason? This is not Zion Williamson's team. Like, they're going to make sure that he's not overburdened with all the responsibilities of scoring or creating. Like, he's just part of the team. Well, obviously, he's probably one of the best players on the team. I'm not arguing that. But it's not. they're not pressuring him to be this MVP caliber player right out the bat. And, you know, he does have a lot of help. He has Lonzo Ball. He has Brandon Ingram. He has uh, Alexander Walker, Jackson Hayes, Drew Holiday, former All-Star and Sixer. You know, but, like, he has help. He has help in the scoring department. He he doesn't, you know, like, he's going to be okay. Now, if you look at Jay Morant, he's he's going to have to pick up a lot of scoring because the only other scorer that I'm worried about is Jaron Jackson Jr., who I expect to take a step forward this season but i i look at it and i I look at the memphis's roster and there's nobody that i can see that can really average 20 points a game except for maybe jackson and morant and well jackson's not a rookie so morant is and i think when you look at it i think he just has the best chance to stuff the stats and i mean we saw back into when uh but Carter Williams was, you know, he stats uh, stuff and he got the rookie of the year. So I think there's a chance. I, I have him as my rookie of the year. Do I think the league is going to recognize him as the rookie of the year? Yeah, but I see him as the best rookie in the, the rookie that has the most upside to produce the most right out the gate. And I honestly think Zion's his weight is going to slow him down a little bit, and I and I, and I think he he's not going to explode on the scene like everybody thinks he is. I think he's going to need take a year or two to adjust to the NBA, especially the speed and just his overall conditioning because he's a he's a big guy. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you make some fair points there. My main concern with Moran, I, I I definitely think he's going to put up points and he's going to put up assists. He's a really special playmaker. He's obviously a really electric athlete as well. I think Moran's going to put up the counting stats for sure. Memphis is going to let him. He's basically going to have to do that. But where I think Moran's going to take, I think what's going to hurt Moran is something that hurts a lot of rookie point guards, and that's just efficiency and turnovers. I think with all that responsibility, is just going to come some growing pains, and I think that's pretty par for the course with rookie guards. He's not really a proven knockdown shooter yet. So he, he's he's going to need to improve his finishing at the rim to an extent. So there are things he's going to have to work on. He's ha- kind, of, it's kind of a thin frame. I'm not sure he's going to be a great defender either. So there are things that I think are going to hold Jaw back. And I think with Zion, it's somewhat similar to Luka last year. Um, obviously, they're very different players. But I think personally, he's just so far ahead of the class as a player that it's going to be pretty hard not to give him the award. Um, New Orleans has a much better roster than Dallas did last year, but even with Drew Holiday and Lonzo and Ingram and all those guys taking shots and playing defense, I think Zion's going to stand out. I think he's a really special player in transition. I think his playmaking is underrated. I think he's going to be a ridiculous defender with his size and strength and the ground he covers. Um, And even if he's not, you know, knocking down threes at a consistent rate. He's just such a unique athlete that I think it's going to pop and it's going to work right away next year. I think New Orleans is also going to be a much better team than Memphis. I don't know if they make the playoffs, but I think they have a chance to be in the hunt and around that 500 mark. If that's the case, Zion's going to have the games one argument over Jaw as well. So I think it's pretty clearly Zion, but I definitely think you make some fair points. And I do think in terms of counting stats alone, at the very least, Moran is going to have the numbers. But I think it might be flipped. I think it might take 
a year or two for Morant to catch up to Zion, not vice versa. Okay, fair enough. Getting on to another disagreement that we had, sixth man of the year. I have, and it's funny that we have teammates being yeah, our selection. Yeah. Uh, I have Montrezl Harrell, and uh, I'm going to, uh, uh, well, you go ahead and explain why you think Lou Williams is going to win this over Montrez, but then I'll, I'll retort. Okay. I, I think the general, I think we all seem to agree. I think everyone on the site agrees that one of the Clippers <laughs> is going to win sixth man. I think Lou probably carries a bit more importance just as a lead playmaker when he's in the game and someone who can help carry the scoring burden next to Kawhi and Paul George. Obviously, Montrez is going to score too, but he's more dependent on those playmakers. And he's kind of a defensive liability at the center spot that LA is going to have to cover up for. Lou isn't a great defender either, but it's a bit different. I'm just positionally. Lou's won it two years in a row. I think he's going to put up numbers again next year, even with Kawhi and Paul. In L.A., the Clippers are going to win enough games. So I, I lean Lou, but I, I can see the argument for Montrez, and I, I think in the end it's going to be one of the Clippers. So it's almost like hard to decide between the two at this point. They're both very good. They both would start on a lot of teams. So it's really just you know personal taste at that point. Well, I, I look at Lou. He's, he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's getting older. And then, you know, you take – He's not going to get as many touches with Kawhi and Paul on the floor. Like I know you said that he's he's still going to produce a decent you know scoring rate for a guy off the bench, but he's not going to put up the insane numbers that he's had for the past two seasons. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I don't. Uh, um. But I look at Montrez, and yeah, he needs playmakers, but he also attacks the offensive glass. So much. And he, you know, all I mean, Paul George and Kawhi are willing passers, especially George. So I, I think you see a lot of pick and roll action with him still. You know, I don't think his role on the offense changes much. Maybe he gets one or two less lobs a game or whatever. But overall, I think that his role on the offense won't change, whereas lose a role from a primary creator in the second unit, he still might be a secondary playmaker because I think Doc's going to stagger it to where Kawhi or Paul's on the floor for most of the game. So I, I that's why I have Harold. Though I can see your points and, and they are solid points to be made. I just think Harold's role won't change nearly as much as lose and Harold's younger. So I think that I don't see any type of regression at that point. Yeah, again, I think it's going to be really close. It was almost hard to decide last season. Lou kind of pulled away after the All-Star break, but both had a really strong case last season. Both are going to get a lot of minutes still this season. Both are going to be on a winning team. I, I still think, I said earlier that both would start on other teams. Obviously, Lou wouldn't start. He's never really started, but I, I think the point stands. You know, he, he'd be a mm-hmm. starting caliber scorer on any team. He's probably a top 60, 70 guy in the league, regardless mm-hmm. of where he plays. But yeah, uh, I think you could go either way. You certainly make some fair points. I think Lou's backup point guard in role, at least, and how he plays, he's going to handle the ball when he's on the floor either way. But, yeah, it could go either way. I think it ends up being one of the Clippers. It's just a matter of which. Fair enough. Um, so we had different coaches for coaches of the year. I had Nate McMillan. You had uh, had uh, Mike Malone. Mike Malone. Sorry, sorry. I, yes. I had Malone in my head, and I was thinking of every other Malone in the NBA except for Mike. <laughs> but no, I think I think that's a fair point to choose Mike Malone. He definitely could get it, especially if the Nuggets are a top two team in the West. He could have arguably gotten it last year, you know. And then I think with Nate, Nate McMillan, you look at it, and I think if he can keep the Pacers a top five team in the East until 
Oladipo comes back, that's how. That's why I see him as in as coach of the year. But yeah, I'll let you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm not as high on the Pacers this year. I think until Oladipo comes back, they're gonna struggle quite a bit. I think Thad Young was a really underrated loss. I think he's a much cleaner fit in the starting lineup than Sabonis. Um, even if Sabonis is the more talented player, and they obviously lost Bogdanovich, um, both Brogdon and Jeremy Lamb are going to produce. But Brogdon isn't really like a guy you want to be your primary ball handler all the time. I'm kind of worried about that. I don't think it's where he fits best. So until Oladipo gets back, I think the Pacers kind of get off to a slow start. We're just going to, I think, hold McMillan back. Um, but like you said, if they are, if they do get out to a quick start and they hold it together without Oladipo, then yeah, he's definitely in the conversation. I've always liked him I as think a coach, so I definitely see where you're coming from. One underrated uh, acquisition you forgot to mention was T.J. Warren. T.J. Mm-hmm. Warren, I mean, granted it was on a bad Suns team, but the guy can shoot from mid-range. And he's, I think last year he added a three-point shot, so the guy can score. For sure. Uh, so I think that's – I don't think you got to include him in your calculations to how well they'll start out. But fair point about the Pacers. Uh, yeah. I think – yeah. But uh, go ahead about the, the Nuggets because I, I would totally be fine with uh, Mike Malone winning the Coach of the Year. I think he should have won him last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Malone's been in the conversation the, last, the past two years really. And and I'm writing record predictions for Hoops Habit and – I have the Nuggets, this is kind of dependent on things playing out the way I see them, but I have the Nuggets finishing first in the West, and I think if that happens, Malone's close to a lot, just because everyone's pegging the LA teams at the top. I think there's going to be some serious load management on both sides there. I think Kawhi and Paul are going to have days off, and I think LeBron and AD even are going to have some days off. I, I Also, you know, obviously there's going to be an adjustment period, the Lakers changed out a lot of personnel, and the Clippers are adding two top ten players. It'll take some time to really, you know, make all that mesh. The Nuggets, on the other hand, have Jokic. They have one of the deepest pinches in the league, and they were in the top two pretty much all of last season, despite a slew of injuries. They had injuries pretty much all year, and they still managed to keep chugging along. If they're healthy this year, if Michael Porter Jr comes in and produces. If Vlatko Kankar comes in and produces, they have a crazy deep bench. They have one of the most unique offensive focal points in the league, and they have a ton of shooting, and it all fits really well together. I think Denver's just going to be consistently there and present, and I think there's a really good chance they get the number one seed. And In that event, I think Malone wins Coach of the Year. So that's that's kind of my thought process there. Fair point, and don't forget, the Nuggets also have Bo Bowl. So, you know, got to watch out for him. No, uh, in all seriousness, no. I th- I, you make a very strong case for the Nuggets. And, you know, thinking back, I might change my vote uh, once the season starts. But um, now I think the last one that we disagreed on was Defensive Player of the Year. Who did you have again for Defensive Player of the Year? Giannis. Giannis. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and I had him as my MVP, and I have Joel Embiid as my Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, you want to go into why you think Giannis gets the Defensive Player of the Year? Yeah, I mean, Defensive Player of the Year is always kind of a tough one to peg. I almost picked Gobert, but it, it, it seems kind of hard to win it three years in a row. So that's honestly a big a, a big part of the reason there. Um, but Utah's going to be a really good defensive team. Gobert's still Gobert, so there's a really good chance he wins it again. Um, but the Bucks. 
are also going to be a really good defensive team. Giannis was in the conversation last year. He is super versatile, obviously. He cover a lot of space. And I just think he's going to have the counting stats in terms of steals and blocks. And he's also going to have the impact on an elite defense that might end up being the number one seed again in the East. So it was really between Giannis and Gobert. And I, I went with the guy who hasn't won it two years in a row. But that might be backwards thinking. So it's really close for me on that front. For me, Joel Embiid's been knocking on the door the last couple of seasons, and this year the Sixers finally might have that defense, that elite defense that they've been missing for him to get it. Because he's had the advanced numbers to show that he's an elite defender. So I think this year, I think it, I think if Joel Embiid plays about 65, 68 games, and you know puts up the similar defensive stats, both basic and advanced, I and the Sixers are top one seed in the East, I don't see why he doesn't get it. And they're a top five defense. And I think they will be a top five defense. Yeah. The only sure. defensive liabilities on that team that's going to be in a regular rotation is Tobias Harris and probably Trey Burke. Mm-hmm. Trey Burke yeah. or Neto, whoever you want to have in that rotation. But yeah. those are the only defensive liabilities that I see on the roster on in the regular rotation this season. So Sixers, I, I think, are going to be a top five defensive team. Joel Embiid's been knocking the door. I think the only reason why he hasn't gotten it is because the Sixers haven't been a top five defensive team so far. So I think, especially last year. Uh, so I think, uh, I think Joel gets it. I think, I think he's been knocking on the door long enough, and I think the Sixers have a top, uh, top two record in the East, and I think he gets it over Gobert or Giannis because I have Giannis winning the MVP, and I don't think they're going to give him the MVP and Defensive Player of the Year unless he goes insane, which I don't. I think yeah. he's going to be better than he was last year, but I don't see him being that much better for sure uh, i think Embiid's in that conversation too my main concern with joel of course is games played minutes played i think the mm-hmm. sixers are going to be a lot more cautious with regard to load management this season they've said they will and, and i think they follow through after the playoffs last year but yeah philly's gonna should have an insane defense this year philadelphia utah and milwaukee are all going to be top five defenses if, if things play out like we think they will so if Embiid is healthy and he plays enough games and he plays enough minutes, yeah, he's definitely going to be in the conversation. He's a generational talent, obviously, on both ends. So that's a totally fair pick. Um, I have no qualms at all with picking Embiid. The one area where we did agree, um, with regard to the main picks at least, was most improved player. We both had Lonzo Ball. We were the only two, I think, of the eight writers who contributed to this project, who had Lonzo Ball. So why don't you give your reasoning for that, and then I'll kind of follow up and add on any points if I have any. Well, two main words is LeVar – well, three main words is LeVar Ball is gone. LeVar Ball is all the way back in Los Angeles. Oh, is gone. Yeah, my mistake. <laughs> no, but seriously, he is gone. He's gonna be. He's not gonna be a, a distraction for Lonzo this year. I think he gets healthy. The Pelicans have invested in better training facility, better training staff. I think he stays healthy. He's gonna be playing with a defensive ace and Drew Holiday. I think not sharing the ball with LeBron will do wonders for his assist numbers and scoring numbers in general. Uh, Playing with Zion, you know, Lob City Central, I think that's going to be – it might be the second coming of Lob City, to be honest, in, in New Orleans. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. But 
I think Lonzo's going to have a career year. I think he's going to average a double-double in assists and points this year. And that's a far cry from what he averaged last year. So I think, and, and you know, if he can just get that three-point percentage to, like, league average, I think, and I think he will, I think this, the move from L.A. is what is really is going to start this catalyst of change. Because if you follow the the Ball and the Family show, you see, uh, recently him and his father had a falling out, out about the change name change. So I think he's di- I think he's going to be distancing himself from his father, and I, obviously his father is not a good influence on his career as an NBA player. Maybe as a high school and college player, but not an NBA. So I think in that regard, I think Lonzo's going to. I think the pieces around him are going to show off what he does best. And I think not being around LeVar is going to help him do better, too. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he needs to distance himself from LeVar. I think it's more on LeVar's shoulder to just be less of a, a nuisance in the media. But I, I do think Lonzo is coming to his own a bit over the summer. Um, I was a fan of him in L.A., and the Lakers are, have been notorious over the past couple seasons for not getting the most out of guys, for not maximizing talent. Um, I don't think they really put Lonzo in the best position to succeed. I think New Orleans is going to do a lot, a much better job of that. It sounds like David Griffin, from everything he said and every report that's come out, that he's a really big fan of Lonzo's talent. He was the number two pick for a reason, even if I didn't quite agree with it at the time. You know, his three-point shot obviously is all over the place, um, not something we can rely on. But his passing, the Pelicans, like he said, are going to run the floor a lot. Lonzo is ridiculously good in transition, <coughs> whether it's, you know, grab and go as a rebounder and throwing an outlet pass, or if he's running the floor and finishing lobs. He's just really skilled at creating transition offense. He's going to be able to play off-ball a lot more next to Drew Holiday, kind of playmate in a secondary capacity, which is what his strength was at UCLA. He's very much not a traditional point guard, and he won't have to be one in New Orleans with other guys who can create, like Holiday, like Zion, like Ingram, etc., etc. I think J.J., having him flying around screen is going to create a lot of opportunities for cool actions. I think Lonzo's going to have a big year. I think the Pelicans are going to have a big year. I have Lonzo on my second team all defense. I think he's really underrated on that end. So, yeah, I think Lonzo's going to really show out this season. I think the change is going to be a much much welcomed one for him. He's, he's on my second team all defense as well, actually. But, yeah, no. Him and Drew Holiday are going to make one of the best defensive uh, front uh, backwards in the NBA. I think those are, are all of our major uh, awards. I think we had a couple of disagreements in, like, the uh, all you know, all NBA teams. Um, I had Embiid on the first team. You had Joe Kitch. We flipped those first and second team. Third team, you had Carl Anthony Towns as the – no, I had Carl Anthony Towns. And then you had uh, Rudy Gobert as third team center. Those were the main things that stuck out to me. Defense uh, – all rookie teams were all over the wall too. Yeah. Our rookies always so tough because we really don't know what's going to happen with a lot of those guys. It's kind of a, a shot in the dark. We both had Brandon Clark making second team. He looked really good in Vegas. He's one of the older guys, even though he's a junior. I think he gets plenty of run in Memphis. He's not going to start, obviously, with Valanciunas and Jackson there, but he's going to get plenty of run. But I think, for the most part, there's not much to debate with all rookies just because of how kind of mm-hmm. up in the air it is. I will give my reasoning for Jokic on first team. It's just 
I kind of touched on it with what I think Denver's going to do this year. Obviously, Jokic is going to be a big part of that. If they're first in the West, which is a pretty loaded conference, I think they're going to get a decent amount of awards hype. Jokic might even work his way into the MVP conversation. He's um, a special talent. Yeah, no, I have Embiid seventh in the league, I think, and I have Jokic eighth. So they're both on a similar tier talent-wise. Jokic is really the hub of that offense in a really unique way, and I think he's probably just based on durability and where I think Denver finishes. Not that Philly might not finish first in the East. Very possible. It'll be a tough debate, I'm sure, and one that will be had by many as the season goes on, as as it was had last year. But I went with Jokic. It could go either way. I can see the argument for Embiid. It's really not a huge gap in my mind. Fair, fair. I'm just surprised that you have – I don't understand why people don't want Carl Anthony Towns on the All-NBA team. There was a lot of outcry last year for him not making it, and I just see that not happening again this year. I think he's going to make all NBA third over yeah. Rudy Gobert. I just I know that the Timberwolves are not going to they're going to be at best floating around 500, but I just mm-hmm. he's just too special of a talent. And I think as good as Gobert is on defense, I think Towns' offense is just generational. So. Yeah, that's why I had him over Gobert. Yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility. I I think I think team wins is really what what it came down to for me. I think Utah is going to be a top four team, maybe a, a two or three seed. I think Utah is going to be really good. They're going to be awesome on defense, obviously, and Gobert's the reason for that. So that's pretty much why I lean towards Gobert. But Towns is going to put up numbers. He's a really cool offensive talent. He's making strides on defense. He's not quite there yet, but it's an area where he's working, and, and it's an area where he's getting better. So there's definitely room for him to make a jump. I saw a report about the Minnesota Timberwolves planning on using Towns as a point center. Yeah. A unicorn of sorts. So that should be fun to see how what that means for him this season. But, um, yeah, no, I think that basically wraps up our major stuff uh, when it comes to, you know, all the awards this season. Unless you had anything that you wanted to add about any questions about my uh, my choices for all the, you know, NBA awards when it comes to the teams. I, I think we're pretty close to on the same page. Um, okay. Yeah, I think we're good. So, Lucas, to close out the podcast, we're going to talk about someone who we probably don't need to talk about, but we're going to talk about him anyways, even though he's not in Philly anymore. Our good friend Markel Foltz. Do you have any closing thoughts on him before we wrap this up? If he does well this season, great. I mean, obviously it looks bad in the focal points of, you know, the trade that we made for him then. But obviously I at this point the guy just I, – I hope him the best. Though I saw the video of his newest shooting form. It was smooth, but I don't like the release point. I think it's a little bit too low. But, um, you know, maybe he – I know that I saw a report saying that he's going to be participant in training camp this year. So maybe he's the piece that the Magic need to take the next step. Who knows? But if he is, good for him. I think that – I don't think Philly was the place for him to succeed, uh, especially after Colangelo, the burner game incident i think confidence and just the overall health i think it just it was not working for him in philly and if orlando's the place that needs to happen then good for him yeah yeah i saw the video too honestly if we're gonna nitpick his shooting form which i really don't know if we can based on one video it looked pretty similar to what he was doing under Drew Hamlin before it fell apart again. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if that works and that holds up, 
it's probably a good sign because it was working for a, a moment in time there. Uh, but, but I think my main point on Markel is just I genuinely don't understand that. I don't know if hatred's the right word, but there are a, a lot of Sixer fans who really seem to have something against Markel at this point, which I've never understand. I still don't understand it. I I, I think it's, it's not hatred. I think it's resentment. Yeah. But even then, I none of it was really, I don't think, on the whole, it really wasn't his fault. Like, obviously, the injury, he had no control over that. He worked his whole life to be the number one pick, and then he has this freak nerve issue with his shoulder. I don't think that's on him. We don't really have, there's not much of a precedent for that. Yeah, that's obviously not on him. He worked his tail off all of last summer to try to come back. It wasn't like he wasn't working on trying to get better or he was content with just sitting back and being bad at basketball. Uh, he worked his tail off like three days with Hanlon all summer. The work ethic was always there. Teammates and Coach Brown always talked good about him. I really don't understand kind of the vitriol that gets thrown his way sometimes. Yeah, I think a lot well, of it, it's the it. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I think a lot of it just comes down to the people around him. He got bad advice, I think, from whether it was his trainers in the beginning or the people around him. I don't think he handled the situation flawlessly at every turn, but he also had, you know, I think negative influences on the outside. Um, he changed agencies like today, yesterday to Rock Nation Sports. Hopefully that's a good positive turn in his book. You know, he's turning a new leaf. I, On a personal level, I've always really felt bad and sympathized with Fultz. I think he's gone through a lot of really tough things mentally and physically. So I really don't see how on a human level you can't like hope that he succeeds and that he does well. So yeah, I just wanted to say that. I, I really don't understand, like you said, the resentment. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how that can be the feeling that registers in your mind. But it is for a lot of people. So I just, I just wanted to say that. Well, uh, to bounce off, to build off of that, from what I understand, from what I've seen on Twitter and, you know, other Sixers fans that I've talked to, the resentment for Fultz comes, is not even his fault. I mean, not completely. I mean, like you said, he got some bad advice during the season last year. I think that's that's fair. I mean, he's only a 20-year-old, what, 20, 21-year-old kid, so I mean, we can't expect him to have it all together either. Uh, but I, looking at it, Brian Colangelo traded the from the three spot to the one spot, and he basically got, uh, you know, robbed in the trade, you know, giving up this Kings pick, which could have been helpful this year, obviously. And I think, you know, that and the fact that he's, I mean, he didn't perform. And, you know, Billy, you know, however great as sports town it is, is very unforgiving. And, you know, it's just like he's, he's going to be viewed as a bust in Philly, maybe not for his career, but... At least in the eyes of Philadelphia, I think he's going to be considered a bust. And that may may not be fair. You know, I mean, as a player, it's totally fair. Um, obviously, he didn't live up to expectations. And he didn't perform well. Colangelo lost that trade, of course. Yeah, so it, it, it's a failed move on the organization's part. And I can understand where some of the maybe irritation came from with how that those events played out and just the ambiguity behind it all. But on a personal level, level I, I don't think there was any room to dislike Fultz or be angry towards him as a person and I think it's kind of reached that point with at least a few people that I've seen on Twitter 
which I, I very much don't agree with and don't understand. So that's where I'm coming from. Obviously, from a basketball perspective, it was a mess. But personally, on a human level, I, I really don't understand it. I think that's a fair point to make. I think it, he's a professional athlete. He, in the grand scheme of things, he hasn't really done anything to you. So I don't understand the hate either. But, you know, people have their opinions. Everybody's entitled to them. Uh, but I think that's a good way to end this episode of the Sixty Cents Podcast, Chris, if you don't mind. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. You can follow the podcast on iTunes as well as Spreaker. You can find it right on our website as well. Follow the Sixer Sense, of course, on Twitter at Sixer Sense. You can follow Lucas at Lucas Johnson NBA. You can follow me at Klein NBA. And moving forward this season, expect a pretty consistent dosage of episodes from us at least once a week, I think, is our goal. So this will become a regular part of our coverage here at the Sixer Sense. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back soon. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.